You know, it's been said that hope springs eternal in the human breast, and that certainly seems to be true. But I'm afraid much of the hope that springs from our breast is not rooted in reality. It's just wishful thinking. Christian hope, on the other hand, is rooted in reality, for it comes from the roots of tribulation, justification, and reconciliation. Yes, those are theological terms, but I can assure you that they are not bad words. Last week, we explored justification and discovered that having been justified, we have peace with God, we have standing before God, and we have hope in the glory of God. Justification is probably the most important theological word in our religious vocabulary. This morning, we're going to look at it again, but we're going to surround it with tribulation and reconciliation, two more theological terms we need to understand. Now, I realize the kids are with us today, and those words are probably going, so moms and dads, your job is to teach your kids these words. I think it's wrong for us to to dumb down the scriptures. I think sometimes we need to be challenged to understand concepts that are found there. And I believe this whole concept of justification, tribulation, and reconciliation are important because those three things are the roots of our hope. They're the roots of Christian hope. We begin our look today in the fifth chapter of Romans at that root of tribulation. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Tribulation, when we hear that word used in a religious context, it's most often used to refer to some future great tribulation that many believe the church either will or won't go through, depending on whether you're a pre-trib or post-trib premillennial dispensationalist. You got all that? Well, if I lost you, that's okay. Because premillennial preachers who talk about a coming tribulation have, in my opinion, missed the point. In the book of Revelation, the tribulation John speaks about wasn't something to come. It was something the Christians were already experiencing. He begins Revelation by saying, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker of the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos 
because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Tribulation was something he and the church were going through in 90 A.D. Now, that's not to say there won't be tribulation, even great tribulation in the future, nor that there hadn't been tribulation before 90 A.D. In fact, Jesus predicted a great tribulation in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. There and in Luke 21, he warned believers about the impending destruction of Jerusalem, which took place in 70 A.D. It was an event that Jesus said would be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor shall ever be. It was a single tribulation that resulted in the slaughter of more than a million Jews. So tribulation isn't just something that might be ahead of us. Tribulation is something that's all around us. In fact, we see it 24-7 on the Fox News Channel. The word actually means pressures. And it can refer to the horrible pressures of war and political oppression. But it also refers to the general pressures of life, the consequences of accidents and severe weather. Bills and jobs and health problems. And it includes the pressures and trials and discriminations that come as a direct result of our faith. The tribulations we experience because we are Christians and because we are trying to do the right thing. Those are the tribulations that are foremost in Paul's thinking. Those are the tribulations in which we are to exult. Now, we looked at that word, exult, last week. In reference to the hope of Christ's return, Paul said that we are to exult, to leap in the air with excitement when thinking about someday being with God and sharing his glory. Now, he says, we're to do the same thing, to leap in the air with excitement when facing tribulations. The same excitement we're to feel when thinking about the hope of the glory of God, we are to feel when facing tribulations. Now, at first glance, that doesn't make much sense. Why should we get excited in a positive way about facing tribulations? Paul, of course, answers that question. He says we are to rejoice in our tribulations because of what they can accomplish. The tribulation brings about perseverance by giving us something to overcome. And that when we overcome something, we discover what we are made of. In our Wednesday night study of James We've been looking at the difference between trials and temptations. And we've come to realize that the difference between them is primarily determined by the response to the circumstances 
being faced. If someone attacks us verbally or physically, it's only a trial if we respond with grace and restraint. It is turned into a temptation if we bust them in the mouth. If we're cut off in traffic and nearly have an accident, it's only a trial if our response is to thank God for keeping us safe. It's turned into a temptation if we cuss out the driver and flip him the bird. If we suffer a huge financial loss, it's only a trial if it merely forces us to really trust God to meet our daily needs. If we cheat on our taxes or rob a bank, it's become a temptation. Likewise, if we will let our tribulations simply be trials to overcome, our character will be proven. We'll discover what we are made of and what God can do through us. You know, when we do something we didn't think we could do, through him who strengthens us, we're more confident about the future. And we have hope, Christian hope, that's based on God's word and personal experience. And that hope, Paul says, is further assured by the Holy Spirit who pours out the love of God within our hearts, who assures us that we are loved, even when we question God's love because of what we're going through, and even when we fail and let a tribulation get to us. Fortunately, our hope is not dependent on our response to tribulation to our perseverance, it's actually rooted in his love. And his love is made evident not only by his help in our tribulation, but also by justification and reconciliation, the other two roots of Christian hope. Let's go on. Verses 6 through 9. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You know, when going through tribulation, we may very well question the love of God. But we can't question his love when we remember what he did on Calvary. We were justified by his blood. Through the shedding of Christ's blood, we were given the privilege of appearing before God just as if we'd never sinned. But we have sinned. And that's what makes his love 
so amazing. Christ died for sinners, for the ungodly. He died for us. That kind of love is hard to fathom. You know, even we might be willing to die for a truly righteous man, someone we really respect and admire. But we certainly wouldn't die for someone on death row, someone who deserves to die because of his sinful behavior. But that's exactly what God did for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can't begin to comprehend a love like that. But that's what God did for us. And in our moments of doubt, when hope starts to slip through our fingers, the Holy Spirit floods our heart anew with a realization that Jesus died for us. He loved us enough to justify us, making it possible for us to be viewed again just as if we'd never sinned. He no longer has to view us as someone deserving of death, someone who must be eternally separated from him. He paid the ultimate price to justify us. And if he was willing to pay the price to justify us, he's not going to turn his back on us now. Our hope is secured by the root of justification and the root of reconciliation, verses 10 and 11. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We were God's enemies. We were fighting against him and what he was trying to do in our life. We were rebelling against our creator. Every one of us was doing that. Paul has made that very clear in the first three chapters of Romans. And since we were fighting against him, God had to consider us his enemy. But then, while we were enemies, he did something that made possible our reconciliation, bringing us back together. Something that was so overwhelming that we decided we no longer wanted to be his enemy. He removed the wall of sin that separated us through the death of his son. And when we realized the price he paid to bring us back together, we agreed to be his friend. And if he did what he did to enable us to become friends, we can be confident that he's going to do whatever is necessary to keep that friendship alive. Now, 
obviously, no one can force anyone to be their friend, not even God. So we can turn our back on friendship with God. But God is not going to turn his back on us. He paid too big a price to save us, to walk away from us now. His son died to be able to save us and is now living to keep us saved. He has entered into an ongoing relationship with us that guarantees our future if we will simply exult in him. If we will rejoice in him and so treasure our relationship with him that we never allow anything to come between us. If we will do that, we don't have to worry about the future. Our hope is secure. We have a God who loved us enough to die for us, who loves us enough to be our friend forever and who gives us whatever we need to overcome the tribulations that we have to go through. What more could we ask for? Our future, our hope is sure. It's rooted in tribulation, justification, and reconciliation. We know God will see us through our struggles. We know God has forgiven us. We know God has become our friend. Our hope is sure. And in times like these, we need a hope that is sure. In times like these, we need a Savior. And thank God we have him. Let's stand.